Pastor Nelson preach last week, uh, and it was powerful. And I want to preach a message to you, this foundational word, community. Community. I'm going to preach a message to you simply titled, Perfect Strangers. Perfect Strangers. Um, Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. This is Paul, the writer of Ephesians, talking. So now you Gentiles, these are people who weren't originally of the Jewish faith, are no longer strangers, no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house. This verse is talking about the church. And it's not talking about congregation. That's a church word. It's not talking about the worship team. We love the worship team. It's not talking about, there's no lead pastor, house, strangers, foundations, family. It doesn't have the typical church words that we use. It's just, hey, guess what? You're, you're not a stranger anymore. You're supposed to be known. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. What a privilege and an honor. A lot of people didn't come from a healthy family. And God is saying, I'm going to adopt you. I've chosen you. I'm bringing you into my family. This is not just, hey, you are the church people and I'm over here, I'm God. No, you are family. Literally, I feel the Holy Spirit saying, what up, fam? He didn't say that. I just made that up. Trying to connect. Um, <laughs> says together, we are his house. His house. His house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone, which, G- which Nelson talked about, is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Perfect strangers. I I got that title from a TV show from the late 80s. Uh, It was a great show. One of the most underrated shows on TGF Friday. It was hilarious. Balky Bartokamus moved uh, from Mepos. (laughs) It's literally a country called Mepos. And he lived with his cousin that he met named Larry and two perfect strangers became family. And literally, that's where I got the title of this message. Because as I was watching old clips of this TV show, I realized that literally you could define religion in the church as perfect strangers. People who don't know each other trying to be perfect. And I believe that God wants me to tell you that your pursuit of your perfection is damaging your pursuit of community. Because here is the thing about perfection is that nobody is perfect. So if you're pursuing perfection, then you are really pursuing the image of perfection, not the reality of perfection. And anytime you're pursuing the image of perfection, then you need to be unknown to not destroy the image. It's one of the reasons why we post on Instagram our perfect moments. And even if we post our imperfect moments, it's after it's over. Nobody grabs their phone in the middle of a fight with their wife and goes, fighting with my wife right now, stay tuned. (laughs) We always go, marriage has its challenges, but God is faithful. Knowing we just said, I hate you. But when we post, we clean it up. Marriage has its challenges. 
It's like, dude, we clean it up. Y'all clean, ever clean something up to show it to someone? Like you say words at home, you clean it up and we're always cleaning things up. Like even me, like I'm from San Bernardino and now I'm a public speaker and there's a San Bernardino dialect and I'm not sure what to do with. How much should I let this come out? I remember one time somebody called my job once when I was not a pastor and I was working at KB Synergy and I picked up the phone. I was like, thank you for calling KB Synergy. How can I help you? I'm like, in order to get a job, I got to sound like Brad. Like, got to sound like Brad. He's like, can I speak to Julian? I said, speaking. He was like, Julian? I was like, what up, my dude? What up, Chris? What you doing, man? He said, don't try to go San Bernardino now. Right? I'm, I'm maintaining the image of perfection. I have perfect dialect. I have perfect everything. Do you know how stressful that is to be unknown and trying to be perfect for people who don't even know you? Like, I'm trying to be perfect but I'm a stranger. So here's the thing. When we were strangers to God, then perfection had to be the goal. But when we're friends with Jesus, perfection is off the table because you're friends with a perfect person. Think about being friends with a per person who is really good friends with a person who is perfectly financially stable. What a friend. <laughs> we win. Okay, Lord, can I say this? Okay, I'm not going to give specifics, but we just celebrated an event. We celebrated someone and we went someplace with a perfectly financial stable person. Best time ever. Like, because I'm not perfectly financial stable. That's a different. And we had went with some friends and they were like, this place is amazing. I'm like, no, it's not. You went with a person with some money. And the person you went with made a place that isn't normally amazing. Oh my God, I feel like preaching. The person you went with is giving you this experience, not the place itself. It's the person that is creating this experience. And oh, we had a good time. I didn't even take my wallet out the hotel room. I looked at my wallet one time and you ain't going nowhere. You staying right here. Chase account, you're going to be the exact same when I get back in the name of Jesus. Trip was amazing based off who we went with. And here's what's crazy. The person that we went with, I had never met before. I was a stranger, but because he was so generous, he treated strangers like family. So I got the experience like I knew him when I didn't know him. And so when the Bible says that Christ sent his one and only son to strangers, he literally died for people who did not know him to give them the experience as if they knew him all along. We don't have to be perfect strangers. We can be imperfect friends. This is community. But in order to be in community, you have to be willing to live with your imperfections. I just read this verse to someone today in Proverbs 16.24. And it says, a righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up all seven. Wait, what? So righteousness and character is getting up, not preventing yourself from falling down. And I honestly believe in this, in this theory, and I'm going to get into the scripture in a minute, but I really feel, and I posted this today, that people live in rejection protection, meaning they reject people that they deem will reject them. 
And so they stay away from people. And if they know that there's something about them that would bring about rejection, then they'd rather reject community before you find that thing out and reject me. And so rejection comes a form of protection. But when you are protecting yourself from rejection, you are also protecting yourself from love because love has risk to it. Love will warm your heart. Love will burn your house down. Come on, somebody with a toxic ex. Make some noise up in here. If you got a restraining order against your ex, make some noise. Christina, who are you making noise about? You all right? Did you get a restraining order for real? Oh, my God. God, man, you was, you was really living. But you see what I'm saying? That's really funny. You got a restraining order against your ex, make some noise. Somebody in the chat went, whoop, whoop. And typically how that works is that person is sitting right next to them and they're breaking it like, whoop, whoop. But no. But if we don't, we're not willing to be authentic. And here's the thing about authenticity in community is we're being authentic so that our, can commu- our community can determine if our authentic- authenticity is damaging to our purpose. One of the things that I believe when they say that church is too judgmental, no, no, the, the church should not, judgmental is constantly staying in the mental state of judgment. But God has given the church responsibility to say, hey, probably shouldn't do that. And people say, only God can judge me. That's a Tupac lyric. The Bible actually says that if you judged yourself, you wouldn't need anyone to judge you. So judgment um, should be happening daily so that when it happens on the day of judgment, you've already judged a bunch of things out of your life. And so what happens is we have to be willing to bring our authentic selves into community, not try to be perfect strangers, but be imperfect strangers, uh, imperfect friends who are looking for community to shape us and guide us and love us into growth. You can't choose your family, but we're always looking for a new church. We can't choose our family. The verse said you're God's family. You can't choose your family. I got some crazy family. You got some crazy family members. Come on. Come on. I know where, where my brother's at. Yeah, I, told, I told somebody the other day, it's like certain grandmas, when they turn 60 years old, they make it their lifelong mission just to keep the cold air in the house. And then their mortal enemy is anyone who opens up a window when the AC's on. That's all I remember growing up. Certain family member's house, you come in the house and it's like, the AC's on, shut the door. I'm like, hello, and I love you too. Just, or you got the cousin who you got to hide all your stuff when they come over. I used to have a, I didn't have a cousin. I had a friend that came over one time and this dude was a kleptomaniac when it came to cologne. Like just stealing, I mean, not like Gucci. The brother stole Stetson once. I'm like, you stealing Stetson? It's $12.99. It got a, you stealing cologne with a lasso on it? You know you. We can't pick our family members. We're stuck with them. So God created the church that when he put you in a community, you'd be stuck with them. So if you're stuck with them, you got to work it out. How bad of a, of a man would I be if y'all hear all these stories about my kids and you came to church one day and I was like, you were like, where are your kids? Oh, we... We just put them in a different family. You know, it got hard. Yeah. My son got real hypocritical. I was like, we can't. I got to, I got to, we got to find another family. My, 
There's too many hypocrites in the family. We need a new family. You'd be like, what? Yeah, you know, it's just, you start like judging me. You start saying things to me that weren't nice. My son, true story, we were driving on the freeway during Halloween and there was a big witch on, on, a, on, a, on a big witch on, a, on, a, on top of a car dealership. And the witch had a big old nose with a mole on it. And my son said, Daddy, that lady looked like you. Come on, man. How you know I'm not? I can't go. I need a new son. I got to laugh it off and keep driving. And I'm saying that no matter what my kids did to me, no matter what arguments Christine and I get into, you're going to feel a certain type of way about my character if I just walk away because I don't get to pick. The Bible says marriage is a mystery that two can become one. It's a profound mystery. Guess what the church, I think we're doing damage to the church by calling the church the church because the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. It is a mystery how people from different walks of life can come together when all of us are crazy and come from different backgrounds. But I want you to put in the chat, I'm crazy, but I'm committed. Because it's the commitment of the crazy that keeps us together until we become uncrazy. So I'm not saying toxic. If your church is toxic, then you do my, because there's some toxic churches out there. I'm talking about offense. It's the stuff that happens in normal families. This verse says the church is supposed to be a family. And here's the thing. You don't come to church to be served. When you come back, we're probably not going to have a welcome team. Because it's not a business, it's a family. I've never once had a welcome team when I invite people over my house. I don't have people twirling signs, so glad you're here. We don't. We went to our favorite restaurant the other day. And it's a business, so we expect them to serve us. We expect them to make us feel comfortable. I don't go to the business and say, hey, can I, can I help with anything? You need help peeling the potatoes back there? No, because it's a business. I'm paying for a service. And when the church becomes a business, then offerings become paying for a service, not participation. Here's how I know that that's a business model and not a church model is because if I open a restaurant called Potluck, I ain't making no money. (laughs) Here's what we do at Potluck. We all actually, all of our customers bring like the food that they want to bring and we all have to eat it because we're like, We're like connecting together. Potlucks are normal in families for business. You're like, I'm not eating that. I'm not eating that. I don't know who brought that. Potlucks, I have never had anxiety except at a potluck. But here's the thing. The best potlucks are organized. Because the potlucks in the hood, everybody brought red solo cups. Come on, am I... Come on now, I'm preaching to somebody. Come on, anybody went to a potluck in the hood and it was a table full of red Solo cups and nobody brought no food because everybody stopped by the store on the way and got a... (laughs) Am I lying? So it's like, we didn't eat because it's a potluck. That doesn't work in a business, but it works in family. 
Now, the more organized the potluck, the more everybody's going to enjoy it. But the concept of potluck is everybody's got to bring something. You don't walk in a potluck expecting to eat and you didn't bring anything. So God's been telling me the community, this, this is a potluck, not a restaurant. Like it's a potluck. We all bring our part. And if you're really family, you shoot the text. Do you need me to bring anything? Even if you're hoping they say no. Because you forgot. Do you need me to bring anything? You want to bring something. You consider it rude not to bring something. The Bible says this, that your offering will make room. Your, your, your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men. And that word gift in every Old Testament language is translated offering. What you bring to the table, like not just your gift, what you offer makes room for you. So if you are trying to get someone to make room for your gift and you only want to serve and you only want to be where you're gifted, you don't realize your gift will make room for you. Oh my God. So you want people to make room for your gift. It's not about your gift. It's not about what you can do. Your gift will make room for you. So sometimes you will be in the best room, but not able to use your gift, but you're in the room. You're in the room where you need to be. So many people are looking for their place to use their gift. I don't want a place to use my gift. I want my gift to put me in the room, to bring me before the right person. Because if I can get with the right people, I can have the wrong gift with the right people. Come on, you've seen some people who can't really sing, but they signed the puffy. And he just cranked the auto-tune up and promoted them. Am I lying? Like, you could be a bad singer. You signed to the right person. You're, you're out of here. You could be a marginal actor. And if Steven Spielberg puts you in a movie, that's it. The whole L.A. is who you know. We need to be known. Christianity is who you know. Do you know God? Do you know each other? Man, it's, the success is in who you know in the church. If you're known by God and known by people, that is what the kingdom considers successful. This will change your life. Ephesians 2.19 says, so you are no longer strangers. The number one goal of Christianity is to no longer be a stranger to God and each other. You're no longer strangers. You were unknown by God and now God knows you and you know God. You're no longer strangers and foreigners. You're from here now. You're a part of this. I looked up this word, estranged. It means no longer close or affectionate to someone, alienated. Harriet felt more estranged from her daughter than ever. And so when you are separated from a loved one, you have gone from friends to a stranger. So the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, it estranged humanity from God. And now God was limited in what he could do in a believer's life because of the estrangement. So his number one thing he wanted to do is turn strangers to friends. This, this, uh, I was having a meeting with somebody today in my front yard. That's how it is now, front yard meetings. We have no office, but we have a little office, but we sit in the front yard. We have two chairs. Lady walks past with her stroller. I was like, hey, nothing. Like, man. Remember back in the day, people used to wave back. My wife is passionate about making strangers 
friends. My wife makes so many, everywhere we go, my wife knows our neighbors. Every, I mean, everywhere. Like, she came home one time with a pair of shoes for me that her, our neighbors gave me. It's amazing. Like, yeah, her husband passed away. He was a great golfer. Here you go. I'm like, you're getting shoes. You know this woman so well, she's giving you her deceased husband's shoes for your husband. Like, y'all are close. Strangers to friends. That is a gift. And so my wife may not understand necessarily what her preaching gift looks like or what her leadership. She might not be able to host a conference, but she turns strangers to friends. And people still ask her, so what are you going to do now that you're I'm going to turn strangers to friends. That's a calling. But if you don't preach and you don't plan and you don't strategize and you don't have the, what that comedian, the random action verb conference, then you're not leading. You're just turning stranger to friends. So what else? What else are you going to do? God's entire mission was turning strangers to friends. And the reason why we live that mentality and culture, that's why all of our prayer life, we ask God, well, what else? What else are you going to do? What do you mean what else I'm going to do? We're friends and I gave you friends. That's it. (laughs) Well, what else? What about the business? Yeah, I mean, sure. But the friends. Jesus died to have friends. Jesus did ministry as an excuse to have friends. You know, the Bible says that Jesus said, I called you to be my disciples, that you may be with me where I am. The mission was an excuse to be with people. We have churches going, the mission, the mission. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus, like, where did I say that? I never asked you to be the hands and feet. I asked you to be the body. Hands and feet are grotesque. (laughs) Without the heart, the hands and feet are useless. And so we have people being the hands and the feet without the heart, and it's useless. God is saying, I need you to be the body. I need you to be the body. I need you to be the body. And how you become the body is you're no longer strangers. If you're watching this right now, I really believe the Holy Spirit is doing a work in your heart and you're saying, I'm never going to come to church again and be unknown. I'm not going to come 15 minutes late and leave 15 minutes early. Never again. It is my goal. Another bucket list. I never want to meet anyone again in our church that I have never seen before in my life. And I ask them how long they've been coming to Oasis and they say 1995. I don't ever want that to happen again. You've been going to our church 30 years and I've never seen you. Yeah, you know, just been popping in and out. Like, get in the connect group. Like, you've been here 30 years. You should be a pillar. Remember when Oasis talked about priest and pillar? You should be a pillar. 30 years from now, I want to be a pillar. I'm be in the back talking trash about all the new preachers. Like, they, they don't know the word, you know? <laughs> like all old preachers do. They don't know the word. You need to go to Bible college. But you see what I'm saying? Like, we have to make a commitment to be known. And here's the thing that, that when I under, this is so important you understand this. When I came to Oasis, I'm, I'm grateful I didn't come to a church service first. I never stepped foot in a church service. I went to a connect group first. Had I come to a church service first, I don't think I would have been a pastor. Because I would have had nowhere to tell people what I was going on. My first connect group, September 2010, I came in the room smelling like pot. And I remember my connect group leader was no joke. And there was a guy in the connect group who said, hey, man, I just, I really believe in accountability. He didn't know me. He was a stranger. He says, I really believe in accountability. And you, you smell like pot. 
And I was like, I know. And he was like, don't you know that you, the Bible says your body is a temple? That's what he said. He's a stranger, and that's what he said to me. And I quote, this is what I said, yep, and that's why I only smoke good pop. That's what I said to him. He walked off all jacked up and like, so I left the connect group and I thought about it. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to come back if I, that's cool, dishonoring to the Lord. So I didn't show up to the next week's connect group because I was, you know, doing my thing. And the connect group leader called me, Julian, yep, you smoked, didn't you? That's why you didn't come to the group. Yep. He said, I don't care if you're high to your mind, come to group. Come to group. You're needed here. We need you. And we missed you. So I went to group. And that moment, that community, I realized that part of the reason why I had that habit is I was numbing the pain of being unloved. And so you might not have, right, a a, a pot habit, but you got a work habit. You got a habit that is numbing the pain of not being loved. You got a habit that's numbing the pain and community helps you. It's like I, I went to the dentist last week and the, no, the Novocaine where they put on wore off. I was in so much pain, but I left the dentist cool until it wore off. And I felt like the Lord's telling me, hey, man, that thing that you're relying on is going to wear off. And then you need more of it. You need more of it. And um, what they told me when it wore off and it says you can take over-the-counter medicine, the thing that you have in your house. It's not going to be so painful that what's in your house won't help. And I really believe that if you would commit yourself to community, what you're going through will not be so painful that what's in the house can't help. You won't need like to go somewhere. And yes, you know, there's obviously therapy and things like that, but I really believe that's something that even the house of God has provided for people. And so I want you to commit yourself to community. Uh, Ephesians 3, uh, 2.20, one verse later, says, Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. You can't be holy by yourself. You're holy in community. And here's the thing. when we, If you came to one of our builders' meetings, we have what we call family values. These aren't business values. These are family values. And one of our family values is that we grow together. And I want you to write this down. The entire goal of coming to church is to grow your maturity and ability to fulfill your divine responsibility. We are all responsible for something that is a part of this house. You know, sometimes we get questions when we do questions at the end of Meet the Lows or in the end of uh, builders meetings. And it's like, so what do you guys do for the poor? I don't know. What are you doing for the poor? That's how we need to whatever you're doing, because if we're not doing nothing, whatever you're doing, what do you guys do for the elderly? What are you doing for the elderly? So what I'm saying is we got to get out of the habit of saying, hey, what are you guys doing for this? No, what are you doing? How do I get connected to community? Invite somebody to your house for dinner? Go have a coffee with somebody? I mean, we have connect groups, but if you're relying on that, just show up and say, what's up to somebody? That's how I meet people. It's us taking personal responsibility for the church we want to have. Not asking Pastor Julian, hey, what are you, what are you doing? I'm doing what I can. And if you would do what you can, we'd have a fire church because I'm doing what I can. And, and, and what I believe 
pastors and church leaders are crumbling under the weight of is that I'm not doing what you want or what you expect of me. I'm doing what I can. And if I do what I can and you do what you can, we do what neither one of us can without each other. That's the power of community. Even later, and I don't have time to read this verse, is Ephesians 3.20. We hear this preached all the time. And God is able to do more than you can ask, imagine, or think. Does anybody believe that our God is able? Somebody say, able. I believe our God is able. Do you believe God is able? To do more than you can ask, imagine, or think? Do you believe that? Well, the verse continues and says, he can do more than you can ask, imagine, or think, according to the power that is at work in us. Why are you individualizing that verse? He says, I can do anything if you'd be willing to go from me to we. The reason why you're not seeing God, I haven't seen God do more than I can ask, imagine, or think because it's still me. It's not we. It said, according to the power that's at work with us. If you don't have an us, then you don't have more than you can ask, imagine, or think. Ephesians 3.20 is a letter to the connected church. Do you know how many promises are in Ephesians? The verse on marriage, the verse that God can do anything and Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. There is so much. I mean, if you want to be blessed, if, I mean, we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, there is fire in the book of Ephesians. The issue is that it was written to a community. Would you open your neighbor's letter And your neighbor's letter says you have inherited $20 million. And would you go in your house and say, honey, we're rich. We got $20 million. We did? Yeah, just open up the neighbor's mail and it said that they inherited $20 million. Babe, that was the neighbor's letter. That doesn't apply to you. When we open up the Bible that's written to a community, but we're isolation, then the promises in that verse don't apply unless you're in the community. So without community, I would argue that Ephesians 3.20 is one of the top 10 verses in the Bible declaring blessing over your life. And with isolation, you nullify Ephesians 3.20 because it's written to we, not me. And this is one of the habits we got to get up out of the church. It's over-personalizing our relation with Jesus. And God always pronounced blessings, often corporately, on a body, a community of people. Even when they're getting ready to go in the promised land, Numbers 1 says God organized 600,000 people into families. Before he started blessing, he organized 600,000 people into families. We love to quote the story of the five loaves and two fish. And what we preach is bring what you have and God can multiply it. Because we love to think that God can take our little and make it a lot. Yes, but that miracle happened in a community of 15,000 people. And the Bible says before that bread was broken and blessed that they were separated into groups of 50. 
15,000 people separated into groups of 50 before the miracle happened. Maybe you're missing the miracle because this connect group season, the Holy Spirit's trying to separate 15,000 into groups so he can dispense the miracle evenly amongst all of the congregation at his church. And if someone doesn't want to wait around, by the way, the Bible says they were already faint. And they had to wait for everyone to get in their group, everyone to get in their tribe. And not only, not only did everyone get something, there were 12 baskets left over for the people who passed it out. How profound is this? That verse, you could argue, is about the power and the context of people being connected in a group. One of the things that we do in groups is we mature each other and we grow, we grow together. The second thing is that we eat together. We cannot have a church where the building is open but the dinner tables are closed. We cannot have that. We eat together. Nearly every major miracle, every major moment in the Bible involved a meal. When the Ten Commandments were, were given, they sat on the mountain of God and shared a meal. Jesus, obviously the Last Supper, resurrection, he cooked fish for Peter. Like it's amazing how many times sharing a meal was given in context. I, I mentioned when I was preaching from Acts 15 that the main thing they wanted to deal with the Gentiles believers who were acting crazy was they wanted to deal with the things that they were eating so they could have communion together. Eating together is profoundly spiritual. It, it, there's something about being at the table. And if we're not careful, uh, Sunday becomes a drive-through and we're meant to commune together and, and have a fellowship and community together. We eat together. We give together. We're such a generous church. We're not paying for something. We're not paying for a service. We're doing our part. It's the potluck thing. You don't show up to a potluck empty-handed and expect to eat. We serve together, not just on a Sunday. And I think we need to tear down the notion that serving is, the, is only the things you do with a shirt with a church's logo on it. That's, there's more to serving than that. So if you don't have the margin to serve on Sundays, that doesn't mean you don't serve. If I say, where do you serve? You don't have to say kids team. You just have to say somewhere because God gave us the identity to be a servant. And so we have to figure out ways to serve our neighbor, to serve our coworkers, to serve our community. That could be the thing where you would answer the question is the break room at my job is filthy. Filthy. I clean it up for our janitorial staff. Anything that you do start to say, where do I serve? And it's not the thing you have to make time for, serve in the places God has called you to. We pray together. Prayer has got to be something we elevate in our church. We got to pray more often. One of the things that I feel like I want to do when we come back and open the building is, you know, those moments where I pray for you, I want to pray with you. I want us praying out loud, declaring the praises of God, asking God to meet our needs together. I mean, just take five minutes in a service for the prayers of God's sons and daughters, his family, to go up to him and be pleasing to him, as opposed to the pastor, whoever has a microphone, being the one praying. Let's all pray together. And of course, we worship together. We honor all that God has done. I really believe if we do these six things together as a church, what God would do, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. And the main purpose of this is that you would have blessing. I'm going to close with this as I invite the worship team to come up. The Bible says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together, not show up to a gathering. That's great. Live together in unity. I want you to bring this up for me, my brother. Um, that thing right there. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And I felt like the Lord was showing me this 
that we don't understand the blessing of community. We understand the responsibility. And you might be saying, I don't need another commitment. Come on, introverts, make some noise. There's nothing wrong with being an introvert. I often think extroverts know how to make connections without commitments. And introverts don't know how to make connections without making commitments. So sometimes they don't make connections because they're afraid it'll turn into a commitment. And people that are in my life that are introverts are so deeply committed. They're afraid sometimes to connect because it's like, I don't need another commitment. I got my kids. I got my friends. But at the end of the day, what I'm saying is that a lot of people think that community is just responsibility and it's blessing. The Bible says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And it's trying to give a word picture for unity. And it goes, it's kind of like this. It's like the precious anointing oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. Wait, what? So Aaron was the first priest in the Bible, and obviously he was anointed with oil. And the oil poured down on Aaron. And here's how I'm going to describe unity, the Bible says. like, It's the moment where the oil is poured on Aaron to prepare him for service to the Lord. It's kind of like when the oil gets trapped in his beard. Jesus said that living water will flow out of believers. When the Holy Spirit moves, it's living water. Something can happen in an instant. But oil drips slow. And oil drips really slow if it's trapped in a beard. So this is something that takes time. Unity and community takes time. If you're just here for a quick fix of Christianity and spirituality, nothing's going to take time. Unity is like the oil that ran down Aaron's beard on, on the collar of his robe and then the writer goes what else can I describe these psalms come from the songs of ascent some bible scholars think that it's psalms 120 through 134 and some psalm some bible scholars believe that there were 15 steps leading into the temple and they would recite these psalms right before they were getting ready to go back in the building we are just a couple weeks away my God. A couple weeks away. We are two steps away, if you will. And the step that they would have been on, you could say that they would have quoted Psalm 133, reminding themselves of the power of community before they come back into the temple. So it says, it's kind of like this. I mean, okay, maybe you don't, you're not used to oil in somebody's beard, but it's kind of like the dew of Hermon that were falling on Mount Zion. Where's dew? On the ground. See, the enemy wants you to think blessing is always climbing the corporate ladder. Blessing is at the top of the org chart in the church. Blessing is as you, whoa. That wasn't that stable. I mean, I'm taking another step. I do not need to fall and bust my head open to prove no point. <laughs> but we think blessing is the higher we go in life. I want you to put that verse on the screen. It says unity is like the oil that ran down on Aaron's beard. It's like the dew. Where's the dew? The dew is on the ground. The dew is on the ground. And watch the next verse. For there, where's there? Down there. You're climbing the ladder looking for blessing. And blessing says it's where the oil takes time to drip. So even if you're under imperfect leader, if you want to get married, get under a marriage that has some oil. If you want to be in ministry, 
get under a pastor who has some oil. He's not perfect. The oil drips slow. It'll take a while to get to you. One of the reasons why I believe God has anointed me to be the pastor of Oasis Church, because not only did I have my own oil, but for 10 years, I sat underneath the oil of Pastor Philip and Holly. And when their oil combined with my oil, Holy Spirit began to move. So what happens is that community often leaves you feeling like you're down here. I got to get up there. That's where the blessing is. That's where everything's happened. I got to get up there. And then the oil hits the spot that you left because you thought nothing was happening. And you miss the blessing. God announces a blessing up here to Aaron, pronounces it here. It's prophesied up here to Aaron, the leader, You get it if you stay down here, serving, being in community and being in unity in the church. And so don't move down here because he tells the person about it up here. He gives it to the person who's willing to stay here. And this is the power of community. And this is why this has to be a foundation of what we do as a church. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, God, that many people right now have been perfect strangers. They've been in the church trying to be perfect, trying to just get it all right, trying to figure it out, but they don't know anybody and they don't feel known by God. So God, we are asking you right now to let them know that they're family, that they have something to bring. And just like that potluck, somebody brought something that maybe didn't taste great, could use a little bit more salt. And it's not about, it's not a bunch of chefs in the potluck. The reason why it's a potluck is that nobody's a chef. Everybody's just doing their best. So God, I pray that we would just get rid of this perfectionism in the church and that there would be true relationship and true community and that this announcement that we are a community of believers would become a pronouncement as people wait and grow in the community and the family that God has placed them in. In Jesus' name, amen.